2: Hey dog, do you like BarkBox?
0: Well, you heard him, folks. And luckily for you, BarkBox is offering an opportunity to receive one free extra month of BarkBox at BarkBox.com.
2: For humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. To receive
0: one month free, go to getbarkbox.com babes. Again, that's getbarkbox.com B-A-B-E-S.
1: From Cabernet
0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jenny.
2: I'm Jen. I'm Nat. And we are the Art History Babes.
1: Yo. We're What's here. Up? Yeah, we're here. Damn.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, it's damn, been a week.
1: damn is a
0: good way More to days. open. Not uh, even a
2: week. Like, a matter of short days. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: we're recording um, right after an incredibly. Tumultuous and horrifying weekend in yeah. the United States of America,
3: mm-hmm. and uh, we're pissed off about it, to say As the least. Many yeah. people are. I'm sorry. Like, I keep seeing that meme that's like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, word. which comes up again and again at various points in time. But right. like, it is right. especially prevalent. I feel right like now. that was
0: like that was like a legit quote from someone, and that turned into a like big meme. Yeah, but it's true. Like it keeps
3: recurring yeah. because it keeps being relevant. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: right. So as we know, um, even if you don't live in this country, I feel like most people in the world know yeah. what's going on. We're having um, This incredibly just appalling surge of blatant white supremacy in this country. And it all really came to a head in Charlottesville, Virginia, where um, this event between pro-white nationalists and uh, anti-fascist Black Lives Matter protesters basically... A huge clash between people who think that being white is the best and people who think that everyone has human rights um, clashed. And it ended in the loss of life, mm-hmm. um, and which was a just extremely appalling and just heinous incident. And it's really scary.
0: Super scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. And it all, so it, it kind of started with, the attempt to, like, remove a
2: Confederate yeah. statue. Right. Um, Which a Robert lot of, Lee, right? yeah, a yeah. Lot of cities across America are beginning to do that. I mentioned one briefly on um, the uh, Egyptomania episode where I talked about a obelisk in New Orleans that was removed, um, that commemorated a battle during the um, Civil War, and they, when the workers took it down. They had to wear protective, bulletproof, and helmet gear because white nationalists were threatening to kill anyone who tried to take this monument down. So it's um, it stemmed from a similar thing going on in Charlottesville, and um, it just escalated and um,
0: into people really that.
2: Thought they were somehow
0: protecting history, but really they were yeah, protecting their such, yes. their white the, history.
3: Yeah, it's it the is, biggest
2: bullshit. It is. It right? is.
3: But and I do want to like mention just for the not even devil's advocate, but to show this how slippery of a slope it is. Because I had um, a younger family member, like young adult. Who is basically like, well, but it's just a statue. And when was it created? If it was created back in the Civil War. Like, basically trying to make the argument that a lot of people make that, like, it's historical rather right. than holding any weight. And it's like, all you need to do is look at everything that's happened from the start of the conversation of taking it down to realize that it's not just a statue. Yeah. Like, everything that follows is enough evidence to explain how much meaning these statues carry and honest, like hateful meaning. Like they, they've symbolized like oppression and yeah, like
2: there's no other way to put it. Yeah. And especially placement because this was in front of, front of a fucking courthouse. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's one thing if you want to, um, in terms of using history as a lesson and preserving certain things about our history that we shouldn't forget, and if nothing else so that we don't repeat stupid shit like this. Um, but there's a there's a way to do that and if you want to do that it should be put into some kind of a museum or something. Mm-hmm. It should exactly. not be in front of a building mm-hmm. that's meant to represent justice. Yeah, because- and I I saw
0: this like tweet that like perfectly summed it all up. There aren't statues of Hitler in Germany. Yes. But there yes. are yes. memorials to the people who died in the holocaust. Yeah. That's how you fucking do it. Like we didn't they didn't erase their history. Yeah. But they are not
1: glorifying, glorifying those
0: the horror. They yeah. are yeah. they are making the history clear yeah. And, and it's, it's like it's not that hard. It's yeah. not it that difficult. Be. It, it really shouldn't be that shouldn't difficult.
1: Be. Also, if you're a diehard, um, like, American constitutionalist, seceding from the union is treason. Yeah. yeah. Okay? So <laughs> yeah. if you're going to be, you know, this person who claims to be patriotic and this is American history, blah, 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 fine, but read the constitution. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. It's so stupid. And just the fact that there's, you know, everything really exploded overnight and now um, all you have to do is log on to any social media and you're entrenched in this Mm -hmm, argument that makes no sense. It makes no sense that there's an argument. And I just want to make this point right now because it's been driving me crazy There is no such thing as alt left, all right? Not real. Alt left is not real. There are Nazis and there are people who are against Nazis. Exactly. You can call them whatever you want, but don't call them alt left.
0: And I'm, Yeah. yeah, and I'm against, honestly, I mean, like, I understand the phrase alt right. But fuck the phrase alt-right. They're Nazis. Let's call them yeah, Nazis. Exactly. Let's get yeah. rid
3: of yeah. this alt They're bullshit. Carrying yeah. Nazi flag. So it's not even like us sitting here trying to yeah. Yeah. like label them. They literally <laughs> yeah. carried the swastika. They
1: were
0: they like, were doing the Heil no... like
1: yeah. symbols. This, this whole like battle over like the semantics is just making me crazy and I'm just so sick of it. And so, you know, fuck alt-left, I don't ever want to hear that word again, and also, yeah, alt-right, call them what they are, they're Nazis, and on top of that, if you're one of those people who's calling for compromise among both sides, and both sides were at fault, Um. and can't we just all love, and um, hatred is not the answer, it's like, fuck you, Shut up, (laughs) all right? You're not helping at all. If you're the person who is trying to come in between and be like, hey, guys, we can work something out, there's nothing to work out. You're either a Nazi who thinks that racial cleansing is a good thing and that Jews, people of color, people with disabilities should be dead so that you can promote the white race, or you're someone who is pro-human rights and anti-hate. So you're either one or the other, and you have to choose. You cannot be in the middle.
0: And the thing about that standpoint is it comes from this gross misunderstanding what love is. Because if you love something, you protect it, and you stand up for it, and you stand up for what's right. And sometimes it gets messy. Yeah. Love is not pacifism. Like, it's just, like, love, obviously, in a perfect utopian world, we can just all get along. But that's not the world we live in. And love stands up for what it cares about. And I agree, not intentionally inciting violence is a good thing to to aim for, obviously. We don't, none of us want that. But yeah. if, if Nazis are murdering people, you fight back. Yeah. Like, you don't stand there... And try and find the middle ground. Like, you just
1: don't do that. You have to pick a side. There's no middle ground here. And if you're somebody who doesn't have an opinion, if you're someone calling for compromise if you're somebody who is trying to see both sides of the issue
3: like
0: our piece of shit president you're you're
1: not not only are you you think that you're not getting involved you are contributing to the problem because by not choosing a side you are enabling the oppressor and that is real and you have to make up your mind don't be um, this, like, neutral person, when you obviously are seeing what's happening in the news, if you're saying that you're neutral, you're really saying that you're, you're fine, because you're not in any danger, yeah.
0: you Being know? Being neutral in the face of hate is, is just as much of a problem,
3: <laughs> like... Well, it's a privilege, then
1: Yeah, it's yeah, then... you know... If you're a person of color, then you're automatically, you're not neutral because you're like, oh shit, like I could get lynched on the street if things keep going this way or, you know, ran over Mm -hmm. by a car in a crowd of people. That's just real And, and and I don't know. And I totally
0: agree. And the thing is, I'm also a person who philosophically speaking,
1: like I don't
0: like black and white ever. I think pretty much Everything operates in the gray area. Yeah. I believe in and I, I believe in always looking at both sides. I believe in all these things, not in this situation. Yeah. This is one of those few situations where no, you take a stand on the right side of history. Like this is don't play in the fucking gray area. If you are, it represents your privilege and it says not good things about you. So if you're if you're waiting in that place right now, like Think about your humanity, like...
3: Yeah, and I want to acknowledge, like, I don't know, like, all this shit about, like, the media and stuff that's been going on since the presidential election, and, like, I have to say, the way that the media handled this, to me, was just so frustrating, because at first, when they were, like, being, like, a car... And they were making it so gray, And in my mind, I was just like, oh, no. Don't tell me that a counter protester did this. And that's the way that I felt that they were setting it up. Yeah. The way that they, I think, set it up Mm. at first being like, oh, we don't know a lot. It's like Mm. they knew right away, but they wanted to kind of – this is my perspective. I'm – complete speculation. But the way that it appeared to me is that they wanted to drag it out like it could have been – a counter-protester. So, someone...
0: I know. had a friend
3: on Facebook <sighs>
0: who, for some reason, she must have misheard or something, and I don't know why she jumped on Facebook, but she heard from a news source, or I think probably misheard from a new source, that the woman who died, um, Heather Hayer, mm-hmm. is her name, rest in peace, mm-hmm. um, that Heather Hare was on the side of the Nazis. Oh, and it, like...
1: Wrong. It yeah. hurt me
0: that... Not only like that she thought that, but then like she went to Facebook and said something about it because yeah. I was like, "You're spreading the wrong information." This person was trying to defend people and yeah. do something good, and yeah. she her life was taken from her. Like this is someone we should She's we a should respect. Martyr. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, for real. And, and, and 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 no, you know, it's not in no way saying this person on my Facebook it's their fault or something. Like I said, I think it was very much a misunderstanding. But like it's well, just did like she
1: delete the post. I think so. I don't think it
0: still exists. Um, But, like, and and obviously, you know, she's very anti-Nazi, too. So it's totally a misunderstanding situation. But, like, but, yeah, this media frenzy about it. On top of the way our piece of shit president has dealt with it, yeah. it's given people wiggle room oh, yeah. to to it decide like what this situation the actually and the is. Warning,
2: again, I mean, because a Fox News reporter called the dude that drove the car and murdered that
1: woman a vigilante, and it's like, no, no. He's, a, he's a fucking no. terrorist. Batman was a vigilante. Yeah, <laughs> does, does that person not know what vigilante means? Yeah, yeah. this person was a terrorist yeah. who was a neo-Nazi. No. There's Photos of him engaged in a pro-white nationalist protest that a group called Vanguard America, who is literally a white nationalist, white supremacist group. There's photos of him engaged in these sort of, uh, you know, whatever protests, actions, I don't know what the hell you want to call them. But he was a neo-nazi is a neo-nazi and even this group is trying to be like whoa, 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 he's not with us you know it's like even if he went and picked up your stupid fucking shield that still doesn't matter like the fact that these people are getting caught up in semiotics or not semiotics um semantics this is what was really frustrating to me today I got into this I got pulled in, you guys. <laughs> I got, it's easy to do. I've been ooh. spending a lot
0: more time the past couple of days on Facebook and Twitter than I normally do, oh,
1: and I this I got is, pulled in.
0: This is the reason I went off of it for a while. It's just I'm just
1: about to deactivate my Facebook because yeah. it happened to me today. It, and gets, I, it gets my rough. blood pressure shot up. I swear. <laughs> Like, I got pulled into this argument with some doofus who claims that, oh, it was a fight-or-flight response. People were banging on his car, and he yeah. panicked. Yeah, that's the stupid um, There's issue. no proof that he's a neo-Nazi. And then all these people are, like, showing all these images. Like, look at him here at this white nationalist gathering. Well, that's white nationalist. That's no, not Nazi. Dementia. That's the same Things. I posted oh, a video of him driving car his like,
3: car into the yeah. crowd. There is no. I didn't watch the video. I, I couldn't watch I it. I follow first. Time on Instagram. They posted it. It's, I mean, it's graphic, but it's not so graphic that you can't. If like, you want watch graphic. It. But like, he clearly drives his car, like, maybe 15, 20 year, yards down the road, full speed, gaining Going, speed before it. he hits people. And obviously, the first, like, However, many people at the end of the crowd see him coming and jump out of the way, and that's really what you see. But you see that, and then you there's chaos, and then
1: exactly he
3: one hundred percent did it intentionally. There's no no question in watching it.
1: I couldn't understand it. I was in this argument with this person who just was finding all these reasons for why he did what he did. No, there's no proof that he's a Nazi, even though his own mother was, that like, girl. saying oh, that he's a Nazi. That and, woman, oh my god. And then, like, up. at the end, at the end of all of this, was him being like, I'm not defending him. Yeah, you are. And I was like, I <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. I felt like I was short-circuiting, like, I, st- I have, it hurts my head right now. Yeah, like, it's I,
0: the idea, at the end of the day, like, you're right. Most of the time, there are two sides to every story. And I am someone who also preaches understanding and patience, but this... Is that it's one of the times where it just
2: we can't allow it shit. no, allow it
0: no. So no. you just can't no. No. you just
2: it. fucking can't
1: and, and at the end of the day the takeaway from this is that our current administration has absolutely emboldened these people who preach hatred and white supremacy yep. and we see that as evidenced by Donald Trump's response to this event and that is the bottom line. This is happening because we have a president who said, hey bigots, it's okay. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not saying that white supremacists and neo-Nazis just popped out of nowhere no, no, not and not at exist all. all of a sudden. And I don't even think that they're gonna go away. But, they are bold and they're yeah. out there now. And, I,
3: they have a platform. They have a
1: platform. They They're they have- not afraid anymore. And I'm sorry, but Nazis should
0: be afraid. Yeah, like, yeah. Nazis, Nazis should be afraid.
1: The,
3: uh, what was, it? was it the senator to Virginia? Shoot. I don't think so. I forget. Governor. He's the governor of Virginia. He uh, gave a speech way before Trump did, but he basically is firm in, like, go home. You are not wanted. You are not part of our commonwealth. You are not contributed anything. You made us stronger by doing this. Like without you, like against yeah. you, mm-hmm. like. And I, I appreciated that because I know nothing about the governor from Virginia, yeah. but he came out because that's what strong, you Wrong, yeah. and he there was no. There were a lot of no th- room for interpretation. He was firm that this. It's black and white. And like, there have exactly. been
0: a lot of of Republican um, officials that have said like uh, Mitt Romney had a really great tweet and I don't think that
1: Cruz came out. I know, inside. I don't think I that's mean, I couldn't a, believe it. Either. I know. I mean I like, That was my evidence that we're living in bizarro <laughs> world is that Mitt Romney came out and said there are no there's no middle ground yeah. here. He he
0: made a very firm statement against Nazis, and I was like I didn't really think that this was something I would do, but I agree with Mitt Romney, yeah. you know? Like, We're just slowly
3: watching, like, all of the people that you had, like, disdain for, like, rise above, like, this level of, like, what's yeah. acceptable. Like, all these people who used to be way below the line are, like, yeah. rising because there's just so much worse
0: out there, Now apparently. use your power and get that piece of shit out of office. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Take him out pretty he bad He has to guys. go... You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know where we stand on the presidency. (laughs) And you are about to find out where we stand with this whole issue. The Art History Babes, collectively, have a message to these neo-Nazis. And the message is, Nazi punks, fuck off. Get the fuck out. And that's really, and that's the bottom line.
0: (laughs) That's what we gotta say. That's
1: That's what we gotta say.
0: Um,
2: now on to more violence.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, we're on so a roll.
0: We <laughs> are on a roll. Okay, so obviously it's a really complicated, you know, political era we're in. And while this podcast is about art, politics and art are very related. So if this is something you want to talk more about, email us. Like, yeah. we'll talk more about it. Art is He's politics. All, yeah. This is something we care a lot about. We're outspoken about it. And we... Plan on continuing that. So, yeah. Um, so, we're not afraid to
1: talk about it. Yeah,
0: not at all. So, so feel free to email us with your thoughts or your concerns, and we'll keep the conversation going. Um, and we individually will be doing our best to kind of stand up against it um, in every way that we can. Um, also, something you can do on a positive level is you can donate to... Different um, pro civil rights organizations yep. in Virginia. Southern
1: poverty law is a great. Oh yeah, that people. is a
0: good one. Yep. So
1: Southern poverty law. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, that's just if. If you feel hopeless right now, it's something little you can do. Write a letter
1: um, to your senator. Yeah, you know
0: I mean, write a nasty tweet to Donald Trump. We know that they get to him. like it really bothers him. That's yeah. why he like that's why he blocks people like Like so there's there are things you can do even if you can't physically you know stop a Nazi. There are things you can do. so do your best. Yeah, try and stay strong, stay positive. And today's episode, we're gonna we're gonna talk yeah more about violence yeah. <laughs> um, because we've actually planned this episode for a long time. This was not mm-hmm. planned off of the events this past weekend, but there are a lot of things that intersect yes. with what happened. So kind of interesting. Um, we're actually we're doing an episode on boxing in art um, as a kind of precursor to the big the big Mayweather McGregor spectacle (laughs) Uh, which is insane like i cannot
1: believe how ridiculous this is it's ridiculous
0: like as okay so personally i have zero interest in boxing or mma it's not something i've ever really spent time watching but about a month ago, like my boyfriend brought up this fight that was happening. And I was like, ah, I don't really care. And he was like, no, you have to watch this shit. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So he made me watch some of the videos of the press conference, quote unquote, because I don't yeah. even know why they call it that. <gasps> um, but the press tour. The mudslinging yeah. competition. The press tour that, that uh, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor went on around the world where <laughs> they would sell out stadiums and they would just talk shit to each other. And it was the cr- I, w- I, was, I was obsessed. I was like what is this? This is absolutely insane. I have no idea what's happening and it was just absolutely crazy and also I mean, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather are fascinating figures, and the whole the whole thing was a huge spectacle, and so it influenced this episode, and yeah, so we're going to talk about our art that has to do with boxing throughout history, we're going to talk about the spectacle of violence, and we're also going to talk about kind of just our personal uh,
2: feelings on this crazy ass <laughs> spectacle that's happening right now. It's, I, yeah, I mean, I used to watch UFC a lot in high school, and so part of that has a weird kind of soft spot in my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so funny because you do not strike me as someone
0: who's ever. No, who I
1: get that because I. I, I yeah. yeah, yeah. I like I, I like that shit. I mean, but, yeah. No, I feel you. I mean,
2: and I do have. Respect for a lot of these... I mean, because they are athletes. Of course they're Yeah, athletes. definitely. Um,
1: it's not easy to go out there and no. get...
2: There was, oh, Get wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's this wrecked. one fighter from Brazil, Anderson, the Spider, Silva... And he just yes. had the mm-hmm. longest legs, best. and he would go out and kick people, just and it was beautiful. It really was. Just seeing that leg, just as when they would put it in slow motion, you'd see his muscles just, like, lock and ripple, mm. and it was yes. like, he just knocked that dude Hat. the fuck out. So there is a weird fascination I mean, I, I that get I have it. with it. I get it, I get it, like... So I've never
0: watched MMA. I've never watched mixed martial arts. But that does kind of interest me because when I was younger, I was really into martial arts. Like, um, Mm. do you guys remember the movie Three Ninjas? No.
3: Oh,
2: my God. Was it very racist? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um,
0: I mean, like, I'm sure... Actually, it was a 90s movie, so I'm sure there are problematic aspects. <laughs> like, um, but it was about three young boys in the 90s, and they were, like, really into... into karate. Martial, yeah, karate. <laughs> and they, like, fought the bad guys. And yeah, I yeah. love that shit. And I was like, Mom, I gotta do Taekwondo. And so, like... <laughs> so I did Taekwondo for, like, multiple years and when I was, like, super young. And I loved it. Like, yeah, I was yeah. so into it. So, like... Martial arts definitely has an appeal for me. Totally. I think there's something really beautiful about it. There's also martial arts and dancing are a lot more similar than you yeah. think. Sure, no, are you totally? Real,
1: you've never seen MMA? I haven't. Are you? F- I know. Real. So- I know. You need, I need a- to watch it. Something. We're gonna how- watch some like as soon as we're done. with We this will. Yeah. We'll watch
0: MMA. But how? However, you know, like obviously MMA and boxing aren't the same thing, which yep. is what makes this upcoming fight ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, Boxing, I've never, I've never
1: but it's
3: heard. kind of, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. I was just going to say, I think it's important, and we'll get to it, but it's important to kind of distinguish, like, you're talking about mixed martial arts as being, like, dancing and kind of, like, artistic, mm-hmm. which we'll get into. And I think where it really gets complicated and kind of thorny is this culture that surrounds what we think of as MMA or, like, UFC. Yeah, yeah. And that is so, like antithetical to art and like I mean I'm not artistic. gonna say so that's why I think it's so hard to see this group of people as artists is like the culture that kind of comes with it can just seem so crude at times and also yeah my only but it's complicated my like,
0: only talk about that. example of UFC is Conor McGregor and
2: he is a problematic. He is a dude. real piece of work. Well, he <laughs> himself to smack
1: him yeah. on the yeah. cauliflower ear. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, so, you know, things like UFC and MMA are interesting in the sense that each fighter brings their really unique set of skills. Into the ring, So there are fighters that are more based in boxing techniques. Yeah. There's fighters that are based in judo and jiu-jitsu. Dope. Fighters that are based more in... Kickboxing. Kickboxing, yes. Um, and so that's, I think, where the crossover comes in. That makes sense. Is, you know, you get your, your people who are more heavily into boxing and, let's say, someone more heavily into judo. I mean... Ultimately, at the end of the day, you got two dudes or two ladies, yep, um, beating the bejesus out <laughs> of them. Yeah. And as a, as a as a spectator, you can't look away. You're just like, oh my god, look at the violence! Like, yeah. and, and that is so interesting to me. And I think that that is sort of where art comes in—is like this idea of the spectacle. Oh yeah, For it sure. goes back. There so are a lot so of far.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think we'll we'll go over all of them, but there are however you feel about boxing and MMA and fighting in general like There are kind of a lot of parallels between like art and fighting. Yeah, and art art is everywhere.
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like that's
3: undeniable. So we're not trying to sway you one way or another, but it's definitely thought provoking.
1: Art makes me feel alive. (laughs) Fighting makes me feel alive. I've looked at a lot of art. I've been in a lot of fights. <laughs> <laughs> so I see the correlation.
0: Um, yeah, I think I think that's a good way to sum it up. Um, yeah. all right, so I think we're gonna start we're gonna start way back. We're gonna go way back and Ginny's yeah. gonna talk a little bit about the spectacle of violence back in ancient Roman society. Yeah,
2: you know, you have to take it way, way back. Oh, um, man. So I was thinking about this episode and like Spectacle and the performance of violence, and you know, I obviously violence goes back to pretty much the beginning of of man and woman, human and all that. But when we think and about nature like and, and nature, <laughs> oh yeah, and animals, and all of it. All of it. Um, but when you think really about like spectacle violence my mind just immediately goes to ancient Rome and gladiators and fights in the Colosseum and um, in circuses throughout ancient Rome. So I did research mostly on that and came across a lot of really interesting things. So um, the Colosseum in particular, I read a quote according to um, psychologist and social philosopher Eric Fromm, said that the Colosseum is one of the greatest monuments to human sadism.
1: <laughs> oh, um, that's dope.
2: <laughs> yeah, which, you know, makes sense. So looking at these fights and really like the connection that you can make between like gladiatorial fights that were performed in ancient Rome, there's a expression from ancient Rome called give them bread and circus. And what this essentially means is that if there's any um, kind of social unrest or, uh, you know, they're not making as much, the empire isn't bringing in as much money, so people are hungry, um, you know, they're displeased with political leaders, what you have to do is give them a little bit of bread and give them some fucking violence in the form of circus fights. So it's either going to be fights or also, too, they would have you know chariot races and they would recreate battles. Sometimes these performances were incredibly elaborate where they would fill up amphitheaters with water and construct naval ships in amphitheaters to recreate naval battles. I mean, these people were, like, all about it. So this concept of bread and circus. So when... Things aren't, you know, going well socially, culturally. Let's just give them a whole bunch of spectacle. So that's why, you know, we start looking at these performed um, fights and how really the reaction of the general public is delight instead of revulsion, which is really interesting. So people file into places like the Colosseum where they could fit thousands of people and watch people kill each other, essentially. You know, you have fighters that are fighting to the death that are also fighting things like lions. I mean, the whole point was to make it as gory as possible. And a lot of this can really be explained by just looking at the Roman civilization itself, which was very violent. It was militant imperialism, violence was a part of ancient Roman culture. There's no getting around that. And so as far as my research has determined, um, there's been some kind of divergent opinions on gladiatorial fighting itself. So was it sport or was it warfare for spectators? Maybe it was a bit of both. Hard to tell if there was an actual perceived difference in the two, but It's undoubtedly evident that these gladiators had a huge impact on ancient Roman society and that the kind of fighting for spectatorship was a very, very important part of their culture. Gladiators were often immortalized in, you know, they would have tombstones with epitaphs inscribed, um, detailing their accomplishments and their fights and their battles. And the public loved gladiators, and they also loved hating certain gladiators. So like with fighting and spectatorship that we have today, there are favorites, they are villi- villains, and people get really into that. Um, so this is the same case in ancient Rome. In terms of art, so ancient Roman society was largely illiterate. So the main way that they had to record and commemorate these fights between gladiators was through visual means, as well as advertising fights. Um, So this was largely done through mosaics, um, relief sculptures, also personal household items. Like they would have this shit recorded on glassware, ceramics, Drink from your wine jug. Oh, there's a couple gladiators fighting at the bottom. Um, so, that's, that's a lot different than the uh, the press tour of
0: Conor McGregor. Right. And right.
1: Yeah, right. what right. we're describing is very, like,
3: oh. <laughs> 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 it reminds me of the fucking royal wedding. when <laughs> We yeah. got, like, right, right porcelain to commemorate. I exactly. would like to, to
0: see someone with, like, a fucking coffee cup with, like,
1: no, it needs to be a teacup. A teacup yeah. saucer. I want yeah. a teacup with McGregor's face on it. <laughs> and yeah. next to it, it just says, what? <laughs> <laughs> W-O-T. Fook? Oh my. god, fouke.
2: Yeah. To fook, yeah. Um, fook you up. Okay, anyways, I'm not going to make fun of his accent <laughs> <laughs> Um <laughs> So, yeah, um... These gladiatorial fights were commemorated in art, and a lot of this still exists. And they would even have scenes of, you know, these fights oftentimes did actually have referees, which isn't as widely known. And they would show scenes of refs stepping in right before a fatal blow is going to be struck. So, you know, a a fighter that was maybe going to be killed lives to fight another glorious day, I guess. (laughs) Um, So then I came upon this really interesting article called The Art of Ancient Spectacle. Um, And this was kind of a question that I had going around in my head. Like, you know, is spectatorship, like there is an artistic quality to that, even with the violence and rowdy crowds, Um, you know, because ancient Roman crowds were super rowdy, even rowdier probably Mm -hmm. than what we have today because they were drinking. The average Roman, I I might get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure, because I read this statistic a while ago and it blew my mind. The average Roman in ancient Rome drank... Two to two and a half bottles of wine a
0: day. <laughs> Damn. Knew how to do it. That's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to be fair, wasn't I couldn't it? couldn't drink the water. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure they were watered down, They're, right? I'm sure their tolerance yes, yeah. was like and crazy.
2: They were. But yeah, I mean, they still. <laughs> <gasps> Turned it up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially believe, for uh, events like like audience. one bottle for hydration yeah. and like one. the other to wind down. Yeah. <laughs> it was stressful being in an ancient Rome. <laughs> so uh, right from the onset, this article that I read by Bettina Bergman, she starts out with a quote which I think is great, um, which is societies and people define themselves through spectacle. Real. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can apply spectacle to a lot of different things in our own culture and society, but specifically with this and talking about spectatorship and uh, as it revolves around these gladiatorial fights. So really, in a lot of ways, I started thinking about these as like ephemeral performances. So you think about the gladiators themselves, they're either going to be killed in the fights or they're going to become too old and not be able to fight anymore animals that they're bringing in, you know, obviously that's not going to last forever. And even when they bring in props, you know, they're building different platforms for fighters to be raised out from the Coliseum and they're um, constructing ships for naval battles. And a lot of these things are purposely destroyed for additional spectator enjoyment. Um, and you know, it's it's an interesting concept too, in that you think of the way that these, um, like the coliseums and the circuses, are built, and how we took so much inspiration from them for our own sports complexes. Where there, they're, you can think of them act like actual stages. So it's a stage, and then there, you know, viewers on all sides, and it's like this sort of intimate. But not intimate exchange where you have viewers that can view this fight from all angles. It's not like going to a play where it's, you know, you're all facing the stage and the actors are facing you. It's, it's more all-encompassing. And in the article, this article that I just mentioned, the author said that there can be little doubt that part of the thrill of attending public events was the potential for anyone and everyone to become a spectaculum, a spectacle themselves, and to enjoy or suffer all that this fleeting status might bring. And I really think that this is something that was kind of intensified with the ancient Romans and we can still see today. I mean, spectators at fights, especially, and you see like the press tour of this fight that like people are actively involved in it. Like, you know, they're, they're booing, they're cheering, they're taunting, you know, it's, it's not just like Again, to use kind of like the theater as an example where the audience is quiet typically and they're just viewing, whereas in fights, the audience almost becomes a part of the fight. Yeah. The spectators are involved in this performance more so than you might see even in other sporting events, Yeah, um, which is really interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, that goes back to kind of what we're talking about with the whole press tour thing, too. Yeah. Part of the reason why that's so compelling and interesting to watch is because it's not just these two fighters are talking shit, it's the crowd. Yeah. It's the sold-out crowds that are losing their minds. Yes. That paid money
3: to watch two people talk shit to each other. Like, it's really... Which is, if you've watched it, there's nothing, like, honorable or dignified (laughs) about these conversations. I mean, they're trash talk like it's garbage like what they're saying doesn't make sense it's not eloquent or interesting
0: it's really sometimes it's very uncomfortable and kind of embarrassing yeah like yeah well
2: it's crazy it's so it seems so scripted oftentimes too like jesus
1: who's read the society of the spectacle i know i I, I
2: think i've read parts of
0: it so i I know I'm familiar with it Oh yes, yes
1: um, is um, a, a Marxist uh, theorist, and so I mean, like straight up. It's okay. We got we got some takeout. Hold on, just a second.
3: <laughs> oh, break! We're gonna take a quick takeout break.
2: <laughs> Typhoon.
3: food. <laughs>
0: Hey, Nat, did you know that the FDA doesn't require tampon companies to disclose a list of the ingredients in their tampons?
3: That's pretty horrifying. (laughs) Uh.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so major brands use synthetic ingredients and harsh chemical cleansing agents, whereas Lola is 100% cotton and BPA-free.
3: And for those of you who are a little more environmentally conscious and don't even want to use the applicator, they make applicator lists. They make various sizes and panty liners for those who want them. And, yeah, you can customize your subscription so you can get exactly what you need, you know, in the right sizes. Yeah, it's
0: pretty cool. And it gets delivered directly to your door, so you don't have to worry about, like, Lazy girl's dream. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to worry about running off to the store because they will be there every month at your door. Also, $5 off your first box Come on guys, can't beat that. Pretty exciting. Head on over to trymylola.com slash babes, that's B-A-B-E-S, and start your subscription today. Go guys, do it.
1: So, basically, there are some really good quotes in this book, and I'll just say a few things that are Relevant, but um, one of his his basically his main thesis to um, what is in critical theory the whole idea of spectacle is so huge people make careers out of this, mm-hmm. and um, he claims that social life, authentic social life, has been replaced with its representation. Ah. So um, he argues that the history of social life is understood as the decline of being into having and having into merely appearing. And um, what I really like about Debord and um, something that I think really sums up what's going on with this fight in particular is um, his quote, which is that... um, Uh, Relations between commodities have supplanted relations between people. So in this case, the fight is the commodity slash also the spectacle. So (laughs) passive identification with the spectacle is therefore supplanting genuine activity. And that really is where the whole pleasure into watching um, these events take place kind of plays in. So, I'm not even gonna try to go on further about this book because while it is such a thin volume, like it's a very thin book, you could probably read it in a day, you wouldn't understand it. (laughs) It's like some heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah, Yeah. that's the thing about like the situationists and stuff, it's just like intense,
0: Mm -hmm. complicated philosophical material for Mm -hmm. sure.
2: Yeah, Um, but yeah, I mean. The whole spectacle thing, like I said kind of earlier, it's so rooted in just being a human. I mean, of course, plenty of humans don't like watching performed violence, but a lot of them do. Mm -hmm. And it goes way, way back.
1: (laughs) Continuing on with this idea of spectacle and how that plays in um, to our visual culture, there was in the early 20th century this... Interesting sort of school, this movement in New York City is really where it was based out of, but this brand of gritty realism, um, American realism, termed the Ashcan School. So, the Ashcan School, artists such as um, Norman Rockwell were familiar. Mm, for sure. Um, so, these People who branded this gritty particular realism. There was a sort of muddy color palette uh, as a way to kind of identify these artists. But one well, of the biggest things is that they were in New York City. So these artists really embodied the grittiness. I, I wish I had a different word to describe it. But the grittiness of New York City in the early 20th century it was gritty. It was gritty, you guys. Gritty as hell. Muggy. Um, it's still muggy, but at least now they have <laughs> it was AC. so muggy then. <laughs> oh, God, it was so muggy. Um, but one particular artist, a man named George Bellows, painted a very famous work that um, most of us, I think, are familiar with. It is a highly recognizable piece of art, but it was painted in 1909, and it was titled both members of this club and it's literally a painting of two people boxing you can see it nowadays at the national gallery in dc both members of this club what a highly relevant image considering not only this upcoming fight that we've been talking about but also embodying the current atmosphere in america not only over a hundred years ago, but today. So the painting is of two men, one white and one black man, and they're shown in the moment of contact. So they're um, in the ring fighting, um, and the painting itself is really um, kind of interesting compositionally. The bodies really form this really dynamic triangle. So you have very quick brush strokes um, the figures are are well defined but also not clearly defined mm. um, and yeah. so you really get the notion of um, this like energy this movement between uh, these two figures so the people involved are actually uh, real people so um, bellows paints this work in 1909, but shows it in 1910, which was the year of a much-anticipated fight between the heavyweight boxing champion, at the time, a man named Jack Johnson, an African-American man, and his challenger won Jim Jeffries. Jack Johnson and Jim, <laughs> Jim Jeffries.
2: <Jefferies. laughs> Those are,
1: some, is beautiful is beautiful Those are <laughs> some all-American names. Um, <laughs> So this fight was highly dramatized by this racial animosity. The media was referring to Jim Jeffries as, quote, the last of the great white hopes in boxing. Oh (laughs) my god. Yeah. So Jeffries... Never
0: refer to anything
1: as... A great white hope. Just
0: don't do it. Unless it's
3: a shark. (laughs) If it's a shark,
1: it's fine. Yeah, if you're hoping for a great white shark, (laughs) then that could be a great white hope. (laughs) (laughs) But in this case... Maybe like a polar bear. I think that would be fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like like, a polar bear. Like, I hope I see a great white polar bear. (laughs) Yeah, but But that's it. (laughs) Yeah, so... There was a lot of racial animosity, and consider the time. This is um, early 20th century New York City. There's obviously segregation. Uh, The Civil War was not that long ago. So, um, very racially charged fight. In the end, Jack Johnson wins. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, Great White Hope. (laughs) I just
0: keep thinking about banana pancakes and, like... What? I know. Jack chill, Johnson. Chill beach vibes.
3: Jack oh, Johnson. Oh! I was listening to so much <laughs> Jack Johnson and all. <laughs> I
1: was like, what is going I'm on the same page, <laughs> Corey. <laughs> well, I'm out of the loop. Uh, anyway. Yeah, race is uh, very much uh, thematically and compositionally center central in this scene. So you have... The, not only the image of two boxers engaged in a fight, a black boxer, a white boxer, um, but also the title. Both members of this club. By club, the title's kind of satirical in the sense that um, Bellows is really making this commentary on these, like, fights. This These fights were often prize fights, like prize Fighting was uh, illicit, essentially. Like, you know, you're fighting for money. And uh, these fighting clubs, usually membership was conferred equally to any race. So these were places where, as in, let's say, normally outside of this club, um, everything is segregated, segregated restaurants, segregated public places, etc., In these kinds of illicit fighting clubs, um, not only was there interracial interaction, but it was, like, condoned. Like, these people were encouraged to fight against each other sort of as, like, a, you know, who's better kind of mentality. So the title is very indicative of like, what was going on in these fighting clubs at the time. Um, But also, an interesting aspect of this painting is the way that Bellows emphasizes the crowd. In the painting, you have the vantage point as someone who's in the crowd. And so you're watching the fight, and you can see all of the faces of these people in the crowd that are in many ways, like more excited and animated than the people in the painting. So Bellows famously actually claimed that the atmosphere around the fighters is a lot more immoral than the fighters themselves. Nice. So this is interesting um, because, we're seeing this whole, like, shit-talking fest between McGregor and Mayweather, but also the crowds are going insane. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, this speaks to this um, crowd psychology, which is, like, a big thing in the world of sociology and psychology. So interestingly, the year before Bellows painted both members of the same club – was the year 1908 when uh, the first two social psychology textbooks were published um, that explored this idea of a crowd psychology? So there was one by an Edward Allsworth Ross who was a psych- sociologist who wrote that there is a dissolution of the individual identity within the crowd, and so this therefore increases the susceptibility of waves of emotion over logical reasoning. I think we've all experienced that at some point. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> where you're in a crowd, you're watching, let's say, like a basketball game, and you're yeah. just going insane, whereas if you're watching it at home, you might be going a little bit insane. But, but dude, yeah, that- dude,
0: that was when um, Leo and I went to the... For the Warriors, for the, the playoffs, we went to the viewing party. So it wasn't the actual game even. Right. It was at Oracle Arena in Oakland. Everyone paid like $20 to fill the stadium and watch the game on the the big teleprompters that was being played in Cleveland. Right. And it was crazier than any actual basketball game. Right. I did. The crowd was insane. And it was like Hell of fun because we were all screaming and losing our fucking minds, and it was like the best time ever. But it was very much like it was just a crowd in a room just cheering. Like it was just like there was no actual like sporting event, even. Right, it was literally exactly. just
1: a crowd, and it's a it's a very real thing where crowds feed off of each other's energy. Yeah, and this so this notion was put forth um, in 1908, which I haven't checked what the current sort of theories are about this, but I think that it's safe to say that it's real, that, that something about your individual identity melts away when you're in a big crowd. Definitely. And sure. therefore, you are way more likely to respond to stimuli in an overly emotional way, which kind of uh, explains things like angry mobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, So that's interesting. Um, another book... By a William McDougall, a psychologist, um, actually theorized that being in a crowd, being part of a crowd, was a definitive condition of human recreation. Hmm. So human recreation, in many ways, we seek a crowd. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And so it stemmed from what he referred to as the gregarious impulse. So these things, these ideas are floating around in the early 20th century. And um, Bellows was interested in psychology and into this idea of crowd psychology. And so many of his paintings are um, famous not just for... He did a few paintings of boxers, but he also would emphasize um, the crowd and spent time... Um, painting their faces and their reactions. Um, So, it's a big jump um, in time from the Roman Colosseum to Ashcan school painting, Um, but this notion of of spectacle violence has really persisted in our visual culture. There's other popular works, um, countless works by classical artists of like wrestlers we all know, mm-hmm. the the Hellenistic yep, Bronze, yep. the Boxer. Yep. Or, well, we know that. (laughs) We know that. Everybody knows. If you don't know it, I don't know what to say to you. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But, yeah, so that is George Bellows. He's a really interesting guy and um, someone that gets kind of glossed over as far as Ashcan school artists goes. So um, check him out if you're interested in not only American realism, but also these images of, like, inner city sort of – gritty early metropolis yeah we should do an ashcan
0: school episode i think so i think that would be really good that'd be a good one um all right gonna kind of move forward in history a little bit and kind of i mean move away i guess from the spectacle of violence necessarily to the modern contemporary artist ushio shinohara who is most famous for his boxing glove paintings so Shinohara was born in 1932 in Tokyo, Japan, and he moved to New York City in the 60s, where he has pretty much lived and made art ever since. Um, he was a member of the Neo Dada Organizers. His work is kind of like, it's not just his boxing paintings, while well, those are fairly well-known. It moves all over the place. He plays with found object. Uh, performance, pop art, and most relevant to this episode, his action paintings. Mm -hmm. So his work has always done really well in Japan. However, while he was respected in the United States and worked in the United States, he rarely sold anything. But he's been known as a very important voice in contemporary art ever since the 60s. Um, He He was deemed the Warhol of Japan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, Which, I don't know, but okay. (laughs) Um, And he is also the subject of the 2013 Oscar-nominated documentary, Cutie and the Boxer. I want to see
2: that. I haven't seen it
0: yet. Um, So I really want to see it, too. I was going to watch it today, but I woke up late. Um, so I only watched, I know, right, as just being lazy, and but I watched a handful of clips, and it looks amazing. Like, and, and I'll talk about it a little bit more, but haven't watched it, but still recommend it. It, it looks like a really, really good documentary. So as I, as I mentioned... His boxing paintings, obviously very relevant to this episode. He started making them in the 1960s where he would dip boxing gloves that had foam padding on the top of them in paint or ink. And then he would essentially just like go to town on these large standing canvases. Typically it was very bright colors and very contrasting colors. So like a canvas that would maybe be like bright orange. And then he would... Um, dip the boxing gloves in maybe like a like a blue or something you know two very different colors and this was essentially a form of action painting it was a building off of action painting um, like Jackson Pollock and his action painting and his drip paintings except was a very specific kind of action you're dealing with a very in some ways violent and intense action the act of boxing and he didn't I mean he while he was painting with Boxing gloves. He was not painting in a way similar to painting with a brush. He was painting as though he was boxing the yeah. canvas, yeah. Um, which is very essential to the work. Is there the violence of boxing or the just the intensity of the sport comes through in the paintings, um, and that's kind of the point.
1: Was he into boxing? Like, did he box? Ever? I actually don't know.
0: I. Read a handful of things about him, and I didn't see anything. I mean, I'm assuming he's in really good shape, and he's in his 80s. I'm assuming he's probably boxed. Like, I don't know that he was ever a competitive boxer or anything. Might just be a, a sport he's into. But honestly, I'm going to pull up some of the images. His Some of these images actually remind me a lot of, like, Cy Twombly's uh, peonies. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm oh. saying? Oh, yeah.
1: Very
0: cool. Um, at least that was just kind of a connection oh, I one, made. One. This one,
3: it would one? be interesting mm-hmm. to know oh, if like <laughs> actual boxers could like see patterns in his oh, paintings yeah. or its stuff.
1: That'd it, be really cool.
3: Yeah, it kind of reminds me. Uh, what well, oh, we were we were just talking about the Abby Jacobson podcast, but they had the choreographer on who was oh, talking yeah. about yeah. how he doesn't like when dance and visual arts are compared because he was, like, kind of talking about the nuances of the difference, but it was, like, saying that painting is, like, a record of something and that dance is purely ephemeral. Yeah, Mm -hmm. There's no, you can't record, like, the steps the way that a painting records movement. Mm -hmm. And this kind of reminds me of that. Like, I wonder if people who knew how to box could, like, like
0: see moves. Yeah. 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 Effort. That yeah. would be really interesting. Um, that's kind of yeah. Part I mean, so it is action painting, but a huge part of his work is also the performance element. Yeah, sure, there are YouTube videos of him making these paintings. Um, Those cute little goggles, yeah. And he's also done he's that pretty adorable in front of. Well, hold on, but um, <laughs> um, I mean, uh-oh. he he is, but. It's complicated. Um, <laughs> so he he's also done them in front of crowds. There's very like a like um, a performance element to these works. And and yeah, and I, you know I watched a few of these videos today. And and he does use different techniques. He, he upper cup cuts the canvas. He mm-hmm. you know it's not just him just like punching. So yeah. like obviously he understands something about boxing technique. Yeah. You know. There's actually one video on YouTube um, that I'll post on our sources. That's by Zachary Henzerling, who is also the director of Cutie and the Boxer. And it's, it's really, I think, a, a, a very beautiful artistic portrayal of this performance of Shinohara doing these boxing paintings. It's Shinohara and he's creating a boxing painting, but on glass. And the entire video, it's only a couple minutes long, but it's done in slow motion. And there's kind of this, like, big ambient music be like behind it, which is a little melodramatic at times. But it's still, like, very beautiful. And there's all these close-up shots of, like, paint flying in the air and, like, slow-mo, like, drips of paint and stuff. It's a very, I think it, reminds it takes. Reminds a
3: Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. What, what I'm envisioning is, like, a Guy Ritchie
0: movie. I think it takes. Shinohara's work and the performance of his work and then filters it through another artistic lens in a very interesting way. So definitely check that out. Interestingly, like despite the fact that he has been very well known since the 60s, he is not, like he has had work exhibited at the Tate Modern, at the Pompidou, at the MoCA in LA, like he's had work in a lot of very prestigious museums. Um, He is not very well off financially. Like, he's never made a lot of money off of his work. Hmm. Um, Him and his wife, Noriko, and their son, Alex, all live in kind of this, like, fairly dilapidated loft in New York City. And they're all artists. So they all live there and they all make work there. I mean, it's a good space. Like, it's obviously he does large-scale paintings. So, like, and to have a big space in New York City, you obviously need to make something. Like, you can't be. But it's not like he's living super wealthy. So kind of going back to uh, the documentary that I was talking about, though, Cutie and the Boxer, I was only able to watch clips of it, but it's essentially about the relationship right. between Ushio Shinohara and his wife, Nariko, And they're both artists. And Nariko's work um, has also gained recognition recently. And it's basically a series of illustrations called Cutie and the Bully. Which is about their life together and their kind of really dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, like I said, I only watched some clips. I didn't get to watch the whole documentary, but it's, I'm going to watch it maybe even tonight, actually, because I'm very intrigued. But they, they have, they've been together for 40 some years. And it is not, I think, any. I don't think anyone would describe what they have as a healthy relationship. Yeah, Um, I'm not saying there isn't love there, but it it gets uncomfortable at times, and that's kind of what Noriko's work deals with: is this balance of love and also all the bullshit that she's put up with, kind of a thing. Interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting, and they have a very like tumultuous back and forth. But but it isn't without. You can tell that they care about each other. It isn't without like laughter and
3: stuff. Like pure victim. Situation. Yeah, yeah, but
0: it still complicated. is complicated and uncomfortable at times. Um, and there's one quote by Noriko in the in the documentary where she's talking about their relationship, and she says, "We are like two flowers in one pot. Sometimes we don't get enough nutrients for both of us, but when everything goes well, we become two beautiful flowers." Oh. And I was like that is nice. Yeah. <laughs> like that is, okay. that is a nice thing. Um, but like I said, I haven't watched the documentary yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but there's definitely, there's definitely a tension about this, this marriage. And there's like an intensity about it, which I think parallels his boxing work in a very real way. Um, because these paintings represent an intensity and a, te- and a, Attention and kind of a violence, and I think all of those things are interrelated in some mm-hmm. ways. So, some things to think about, but yeah, I mean, he's still making work, he's like 85 now, wow. I think. I know, and he, he's in great shape for 85, <laughs> out there making boxing paintings. But I don't know, like, these paintings also get a lot of criticism from people, especially people not really into art. They're like, How is this art? You know, I mean, I guess the same way. Like Jackson Pollock like, got cursed with them. But like what do you what do you guys think of these of like his boxing images?
2: I think they're I like the ones with more color, just personally. But um I think they're interesting.
1: And, and They're kind of beautiful. Yeah. 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 I mean I like that one. they're that a record of
3: movement, which is yeah, I I don't know. I keep going back to that like choreography comparison, but like they're more about the movements that he made than necessarily what's left behind. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe would help people to appreciate them a little bit more. Yeah. um, It's not just focusing on what stays, but thinking a little beyond.
1: I think they're interesting and and dynamic, and I can appreciate them um, in the sense that they're really different. I haven't seen anything like this before. I mean, yeah, Cy Twombly's... But that's a. I that's mean, That's totally... Yeah, like, they're
0: completely different. They just, just sort
1: of compositionally Yeah, exactly. Have that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole of, is this art? I mean, I'm gonna... I mean, yeah, I obviously... I definitely think it is I art. I think it's like art. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm 100%. Not... But
0: it's just... I can also understand why some people maybe are a little critical, I guess. But visually... I don't know. I If you appreciate action painting, you'll appreciate these, yeah. I think. I wonder sure. if they're cathartic for him. I Probably feel like I they have sure. to be. Yeah. I would love to do that. I yeah, would love too. to punch a canvas. That yeah. sounds great.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're great. Yeah. They're very interesting. We'll obviously have some images up on the website for you guys to look at. But Ushio Shinohara, check him
3: out. And then Nat. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty good segue into my topic, which is a little more theoretical. So I am going to be talking about our dear, dear friend Meryl Streep <laughs> and the our comment. close, <laughs> close
0: personal friend
3: Meryl yes, Streep. She couldn't make it today, <laughs> but just a scheduling error. <laughs> Um, no, but, I mean, many of you probably know, um, that Meryl Streep made a very rousing speech this year at the, Go- or last year, last year, I guess, at the Golden Globes. Um, I myself am not a huge, uh, awards person. Yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> me I don't is. really watch any of the award shows. I just, I, you know, I like a lot of the shows and movies that get awarded, but, I have no interest in watching people parade. Um, it's just not my deal. But she made a speech that I did hear about post-Golden Globes, where in truly, like, three seconds, she brings up fighting, but it caused a whole uproar of backlash. So the speech in general was very pro-diversity. She had a lot to say in criticism of our current president, Donald Trump. And for the most part... I agree with a lot of what she talked about. Um, there is this moment that we are going to discuss today where she bas- she says Hollywood is crawling with outsiders and foreigners and if we kick them all out, you'll have nothing to watch but football and mixed martial arts, which are not the arts. So, <laughs> this very small piece of the whole speech garnered a lot of... Um, backlash from the MMA community, people who support MMA. Really what I think it comes down to is she picked the wrong sport to choose. Yeah. Uh, but it's it brings up a lot of interesting questions. And I have some articles that I've found that respond to this, and not in a super aggressive way, but in a pretty rational way, just defending MMA as a sport, and mostly um, as an international sport, which I think there is a lot of merit there, because first, first and foremost, which we talk about all the time, is that art is subjective, and yeah. we have to come to that, like, what is art is looming over every episode that we do, <laughs> everything we talk about, it's, it's just omnipresent. Yes. So you know, why is it not in this? you know what is art is MMA art? MMA, I'm sure you guys figured out don't know, it's mixed martial arts. <laughs> um, in this, you know, art is objective, but also art kind of parallels fighting in the way that there are those who fight out of true necessity and those there are those who fight out of sport and out of like desire to fight and interest in it and you can kind of say the same thing about art there are people who create art out of necessity and there are people who just feel like they are put on earth to create art for art's sake like there's just kind of an overlap there that i hadn't realized until i was reading about this and personally i'm i'm always one to like the underdog so Definitely. in art and it kind of overlaps into fighting because i i'm not a huge ufc boxing fan by any stretch but I'm not above being entertained by it when I really pay attention, when I'm interested. I, I know people who like watching it. I have watched fights. And it's, there's definitely a, an element of entertainment that I've sure. been pulled into. And I, yeah, I will 100% root for the person who's fighting, in my mind, out of, more so out of necessity than the other. You know, like, it's never, like, really a whole underdog story (laughs) there yeah it just doesn't ever work out that way unless you're watching a movie but if there is somewhat of an underdog that's generally who I just lean toward and it's the same way in art I mean you love to hear about people who really pull themselves out like up by their bootstraps and make a name for themselves in any situation and I just I like to see that parallel first of all And it's important to say, like, boxing as an American tradition has been around for a while. MMA is pretty recent. I mean, I found out through this research that as of 2005, UFC fighters were not rich. They were not bringing in a lot of money. Mm. So in 2008, when Conor McGregor quit his plumbing career... Um, and decided to go train to become an MMA
0: fighter. I can't imagine would be like if that guy walked into my house to
3: like fix my
0: fucking sink. And I'd be like, who is this person?
1: He would yell at you for not having used a drain the stopper. Fucking hair in the drain. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But, but it is important to note because he is such a ridiculous shit talker that when he did enlist in this gym and start training, there was no, like, shining beacon of, like, rags to riches that he was chasing. This was not something that had happened. So, I don't know. Like, there, there's something kind of earnest in that. that like, he was doing it for wanting to be an MMA fighter, not for wanting some sort of fame or wealth at that point. He's come a long way since then. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not like defending, but that's that's an important note. And just to note that fighting is truly if we're going to talk about like race fighting is extremely exclu- inclusive as far as global business. Like the, if you go through UFC fighters, there are people from all like the whole gamut. There's no I mean, we were talking about white supremacy earlier. Like, there's not a white supremacy in fighting, which, you know, refreshing. That's that's a positive. We'll hold on to that. And, yeah, so I have uh, this quote from a Nobel Prize winner, Andre Gide, that says, Art begins with resistance at the point where resistance is overcome. No masterpiece has ever been created without great labor. So you can find these kind of theoretical art statements that you can apply to fighting. Like there are, it's it's there. I want to hear from you guys (laughs) what you think, and then I have some more material, but we can kind of
0: tease through this, like whether we think it's art
3: or not. Yeah.
0: Um. Okay. Well, my feelings towards Meryl Streep is I do fucking love her, and I did fucking love everything she had to say at those awards because she said a lot of important shit. Um, so I don't want, like, I don't want to get caught up on like one little line that she said because no. I think like everything exactly. she said was so yeah, important. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, like, it's probably not surprising, but I'm definitely in the camp of like everything is art, like life yeah. is art. Like I think anything, anything that is approached in a way that is meant to express yourself and the way you relate to the world can be art and if that is some form of martial arts like definitely like I I don't it definitely takes effort and time and it also takes creativity Mm -hmm. and so like yeah I mean I'm I'm 100% on the on the side of I mean, not just mixed martial arts, sports. I think sports can definitely be art. Yeah, exactly.
3: And I I think what basically happened in this situation is that you could defend most sports in this context, but martial arts seems to have, or, like, mixed martial arts, I'll be technical, seems to have, like, a lot of just hard evidence as to why it can't be discounted, that maybe other sports could be, like he's through a little more. And I, I
0: also felt like her choice was just kind of for the sake of play on words.
3: Exactly. Yeah. She really just got kind <laughs> of... <gotten. laughs> like, hot. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I don't even know that she would really, if she got into a debate with someone, and I'm not speaking for Meryl Streep, but who knows if she would really defend herself or if she would kind of... Because theoretically yeah.
0: speaking, yeah. Meryl Streep is an actress, acting is performance, and mixed martial arts are also... A form of performance, at least, yeah. in, when we relate it back to the idea of spectacle. Yeah. So if performance is art, then they're just as much artists as she is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I
1: yeah. would like to ask um, an Whoa! M- 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 <laughs> 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 I would like to ask an MMA fighter or UFC or boxer or whatever if they think that what they're doing is performance. Yeah. I would like to I know, know right? what they think because I feel like it could go. Real South fast, like I don't know what they think. I feel like it could go both ways. I yeah, bet you anything. I'm sure
2: it depends on, yeah, the
1: fighter. I'm yeah, sure
2: there yeah. are
0: some that probably like fucking feed off the spectacle, and that's why they do it and they right. love it. And then I'm sure there's some that don't like that aspect of it at all.
3: But yeah, and there was a nice uh, Francis Ford Coppola quote where he talks about risk being a necessary part of any like true art. And so the idea that there are genuine stakes in fighting is what kind of pushes it to that almost like higher art form is, it's not something that you can really replicate in a lot of performance is that there are genuine stakes, and people can genuinely get hurt. And that I think is, for me, at least, that's what causes me the most discomfort is I I love boxing and fighting movies because I know that no one's actually getting hurt. The actual fights, I can appreciate the artistry, but I also, like, I mean, I feel my heart sink when someone really gets hurt. It's so hard to watch and not just, like, feel, like, genuinely upset if someone's, like, risking their life genuinely. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and there's all of the, like, factors that go into fighting, and that's what's getting so interesting with this Mayweather-McGregor fight, is it's boxing and MMA coming together. Right. So, you know, all of the...
0: To be fair, it's technically boxing, and McGregor's just saying, I can do that. Which yeah. is, like, because it's not... A- he's calling it a right. half fight, or yeah. half of yeah. a fight. Because it's yeah. a boxing match... It's boxing. Yeah. He has to box. It's not MMA, but he's an MMA fighter. But, but,
3: yeah, but to be technical, what it's coming down to is there's always so many factors in a fight between physical attributes, between skills, between training, all of the, I mean, size, all, and, you know, size is, like, kind of in there because they, you know, have weight classes and whatnot. But even Mm -hmm. that, if you know anything about wrestling and fighting, that is even, like, Kind of arbitrary when it comes down to it with cutting and all of that. What, whatever, my yeah, my brother's wrestle. I know too much, <laughs> but yeah. So all of these factors are being like multiplied, which they're already. It's so. I mean, if you follow it at all, like predictions and stuff, yeah, it's like it's crazy. people don't know. There's too many things going on, and I think that's part of what draws people in. Is there's so many question marks and just unknowns. <clears throat> And then I think the last thing that I want to end on uh, that I read about this is, like, that I saw, like, a, a genuine parallel is uh, someone mentions that to be successful in fighting, you need grit, determination, and luck. And honestly, I couldn't think of a better way to describe successful artists. Like, <laughs> yes like talent, pure talent does not get you anywhere in anything. Like, it, it does take a certain level of, like just determination yeah, and sure. truly luck. Like, yeah. and successful artists will tell you that, that you don't get it just for being good or just for working hard. Like, you, you kind of need that luck. It's
0: the beautiful mixture of all of them. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And, yeah, I think. Um,
0: awesome. well, be- before we do listener mail, should we all, who, who do we think is going to win? Who, who's everybody betting on? Mayweather. Mayweather.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want McGregor to win, but I have a feeling he's going to win. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I, just...
2: I don't really want either of them to win. <laughs> I know, right? What if I they don't just both just knock each other know. out? My,
0: okay, my, my my thing that's, like, I don't, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really like either of them as Me people. Um, so it's not really that. My whole thing is, like, McGregor is not a boxer, and yeah. the last time he's boxed anyone, he didn't do very well. Yeah. So, like, like he's great at mixed martial arts, but he has in no way proven to be good at boxing. So I have no reason to believe he's going to do well. Right. So that's my personal take on it, but I could totally be wrong.
1: I mean, as far as like who I want to win, I think I would want Mayweather to win just because I literally, anytime that McGregor opens his mouth, (laughs) I just want to like fight him. And so I would like that to be the outcome. But yeah, like we said, they're both terrible human beings. (laughs) (laughs)
0: they are they're both i think that's it neither one of them are great humans but mayweather is the best boxer of all time and mcgregor is not so (laughs) wait a minute of all time yeah he's considered one of the greatest boxers of all time one of them but not the best um some people would argue that he is the best of all time
1: i don't believe it you think I'm lying to you? Tyson forever. <laughs> oh fuck Tyson. Sucks. Oh my god. Yeah I
0: mean I guess I don't know that much about about.
1: I don't know boxing, shit about
0: boxing. But so. <laughs> I do know that people there are plenty of people that consider him the best boxer yeah. of all time. Obviously that's subjective as well but like. Right.
3: I really wish that McGregor hadn't like shown his little fucking racist, or not even shown his racist side. I wish he didn't have this racist side. <laughs> yeah, I like, wish he wasn't but, like I wish, it didn't, I wish it didn't exist, because <clears throat> I just remember, I mean, I'm way out of date on my UFC boxing, any sort of fighting knowledge, but I just remember being in high school and seeing McGregor, and that's when he was, like, new on the block, and me just <laughs> kind of thinking that he was, like, charismatic and interesting, and I loved his accent, and, you know, he's... He's kind of hot and that, like... No! And I, I mean, I get it. I
0: mean, like, I'm not physically... Listen, when I heard him speaking <laughs>
3: earlier, I was disgusted. I'm not acting like anything that he his face. says attracts me in any way. Truly, everything it's... that comes out of his mouth about this fight disgusts me. But what I had in my memory from being younger, I remember thinking that he was, like... Someone that I would want to root for, and now I'm bummed out because I don't feel that way at all. Anyway. No, I feel
0: you, and it, it's not about his face; it's about his confidence. Yeah, He's got like crazy confidence that sometimes he has mad swagger that yeah. can be, I think, read as attractive. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. But it, the stuff that I heard him say, and literally anything that he said in all of those press releases, are just. Ugh. Yeah,
0: the whole goral. thing's gross. They're, it's and, really bad. And we're all going to watch as a yeah, society
1: yeah, <laughs> as it plays out. And we're going to get real emotional over it. <laughs> and we're just going to be like, ah!
0: And it's going to be everywhere. And it's just, I don't know. The things the things we choose as a and culture to be, like, excited about, man, it's crazy. At I the end it. of the day, both they of them... change haven't changed
3: that much from the Romans. I know, right? Right? Say it now. No.
0: At the end of the day, they're both making hell of money off Yeah, this for
3: real. It's crazy. Yeah, they don't care who wins. I right? I don't right? think they do either. I guarantee they don't. It doesn't make a difference.
0: Okay, who wants to
3: read this listener mail? I can do it. All right, Jen. Subject line, your period, amazing, period. Art history, babes. Wow. I just love you ladies. I found your podcast this summer and I've been absolutely bringing on binging on it ever since it seriously got me through a 12-hour ride to and from virginia beach with my three kids eight six and four. Oh, oh well. man oh you go girl <laughs> i'm a high school art teacher in upstate new york my undergrad degree is a bfa with art history minor and i received my master's in teaching visual arts i cannot wait to share the knowledge i've received from your podcast with my students oh I love how you look at art history with a feminist lens. For future podcasts, would you ever consider covering Louise Bourgeois?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I love her with her yeah. big bronze dicks, <laughs>
3: <laughs> or perhaps yeah. Kiki Smith.
1: Yeah, yes, definitely. We will. I love
3: those art babes so so much. I had give or I had given a presentation about Kiki in an arts in an art since 1945 class, and my argument was about whether I thought she was a feminist artist or not. I actually argue that no, she was not. Please continue being so fucking badass. I hope my daughter can be as awesome and intelligent and is wow. (laughs) This is just ironic. Can be as awesome and intelligent (laughs) as all of you someday. Rock on, Jen. Aw, that's super nice. That is so kind. That
0: really is. I don't know, for me, like, that's
3: one of the nicest ones we got.
0: Like,
2: if yeah. you, you want
0: your kid to be like us, I guess. I know, it's like, that's high, high
2: praise. Your kids weren't too
1: traumatized by listening to us for 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. Especially, Especially They were me. watching something on, like, an idea. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> we curse a lot, them. so, you know. It's
0: that's okay.
2: Real, like, Thanks,
0: Jen. my parents cursed all the time when I was growing up. I was fine. Like, it's not yes, that big right. of a deal. Right. That's <laughs> why so I swear so much now. <laughs> <laughs> just words. It's just words. It's fine. Uh, that's what we got for you today. Uh, make sure to be checking out our <coughs> Patreon. We, starting in September, are going to have bonus episodes on our Patreon. Patreon.com yeah, yeah. yeah. sl- slash art history babes. So if you donate literally anything and become a patron, you will have access to monthly bonus babes. Dang. So make sure to check that out. Uh, Email us at arthistorybabes.com. Write us reviews on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter. We're trying to get that Twitter game going. Facebook, Instagram, you know what it's about. Um, you know what it's. Like. <laughs> Am I miss. I feel like I'm missing something. The Did fight. I? Watch the fight. Oh, um, watch the fight. And let but us know what you think. We're also um head over to our website arthistorybabes.com. <coughs> oh, oh, so bless sorry you. about that. Um, head over to our website arthistorybabes.com. Two big things happen in there. We have a. Um, now a subscriber list on the contact tab. So if you type in your email address, you will get newsletters from us about all kinds of cool stuff. So subscribe to our newsletter and also be on the lookout, drop in September 1st, Art History Babes merch.
1: Yes. We're doing merch. It. We're finally doing it. It's happening. You can wear us. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, what are you wearing? Ugh, it's Art History Babes. Exactly.
0: So be on the lookout for all those super cool things, because art history babes are just out here just living, just doing it. We're just trying to function. We really are. (laughs) I think that kind of sums up what we're trying to do right now. (laughs) As being postgrads with no job, we're just trying to function. (laughs) Pretty much. Literally. Uh, um, But thank you for listening. This is a fun episode with, I think, a lot of controversial topics, so email us. Let's talk about it. Yeah, for real. Um, And we'll catch you next time.
2: Bye.
1: bye, love you, bye. From Cavernay to Monday. They're
3: here to slay the art mystery babes.
1: You got that Thai food, yeah. Um, here's bag bag rolls, Big rolls, <laughs> um, veggie
0: portabella
1: rolls, hot stickers, and um, I have snackies.